Welcome to Everyday Illumination Podcast. I'm Amy Leiter, and this is my co-host. Matthew Stafford. How's it going, everybody? We are here with Veronica McClellan, who is such a beautiful human being, and um, I've gotten to know her over the past couple of years. I'm really excited about some of her story and what she is going to share about her awakening and her journey to the life that she's living right now. Join us to learn more. So really this this podcast is really about everyday people sort of talking about their everyday lives, but how awakening and how a conscious shift in their life and this kind of world shift that's happening has really changed how you see yourself, how you see your life, maybe what roles you've taken on in the world and what you've decided to do. So I'd love just to hear a little bit about either like when when our paths crossed or what was going on in your life. Now, maybe as you look back, you know that you're, you were awakening, but at the time it may have felt like you were in crisis or there were certain things coming up that you're like, whoa, okay, I need somebody to help support me. Or maybe a certain event happened and, and, and that sort of propelled you into awakening. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I would say it was a culmination of several things that kind of brought me to seek out someone to like offer direction and support and kind of facilitate growth. Um, one of them, I was talking to my friend Adriana and I was sharing these things that I was like anxious about, or that were stressing me out, or I didn't know what to think about them, or I didn't know how to respond. And she was explaining to me that like, I'm actually, I don't have coping skills <laughs> to like deal with the stress. And I was like, I literally cope just fine. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and she was outlining that, like saying that you're fine is actually not a coping skill. Like you're not dealing with the things and the emotions that are coming up. Um, so that was one thing. And then kind of rapid fire after that, then my husband, I'm a very supportive partner. And he was explaining that, uh, he's noticing that I was just really stressed and really anxious. And that was putting a strain on our relationship and kind of getting in the way of us living kind of our fullest life together. And then, um, there were things going on with my family and my dad and his health. And that was a big source of stress. And I was just kind of, I guess I'll say like emotionally frozen or like kind of paralyzed. And I was like, okay, I need to find some sort of support. And I had done like clinical therapy in the past. And so I was like, okay, maybe this is the answer. Um, and so I'm kind of researching, 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 and I stumbled upon you, Amy, and it kind of explained how you like, yes, use some therapeutic tools, but you also kind of go into human design and soul mapping. And you had a history with art therapy. And I was like, okay, this kind of feels like a structured weird space and I'm into it. And so I reached out and that's kind of how our paths crossed. Um, and it's just been really great ever since. Um, you've helped me to understand when I'm like having a feeling, <laughs> just like to notice that it exists, which is such an interesting experience. Um, and then you've also provided actual coping tools and like ways to respond and ways to learn from the feeling that's happening and ways to notice that this feeling might be inviting me to grow in a different way or ways to notice that a point of stress is actually an invitation to revisit a previous event or a trauma and just kind of reconcile that and kind of release that block, that energetic blockage. And so as a result now, I feel so much less anxiety and still like pops up. It's not like gone. That'd be ridiculous, but pops up. Um, but now I can notice that it's happening and I can respond and my life just feels more, um, I guess I'll say authentic, right? Cause like when you're emotionally frozen, you're not really experiencing yourself and you're not really experiencing your life through your body or through yourself. You're just kind of, for me, it felt like outside of it. Right. And so now my life feels more authentic and I'm learning how to 
be more honest about who I am like as a whole. And yeah, it's just been, it's been really great as a result. So I'm really grateful that our paths have crossed. Me too. I'm so honored to know you and I'm so honored, you know, to create a space where, where, um, like all of you is welcome, you know, create a space where, uh, you know, it is safe to, to really talk about things that maybe you can't talk about with other people, or you can try something on or explore something without having the whole world know, you know, and really talk through things. And I think that that's important during awakening because, you know, um, a lot of times we do have disconnects from our family, from our friends, and, you know, you have a very supportive partner, but I know that that's not the case for everyone. You know, sometimes awakening can be a really isolating experience and it can be magical all at the same time, you know? So there's things that you want to share or um, things that come up. And sometimes you're like, I can't talk to anybody about this or what will people think if I say this, you know? So have you had any experiences um, as your anxiety has, has dissipated, you know, how, how has your life changed? Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels in many ways like a complete 180 and yet the same. It's so, it's such an interesting experience. I mean, as the anxiety was being reconciled, I guess I'll say reconciling with that and all the things that come with it, then I really, I felt more space to kind of connect with myself and it felt safer to connect with myself. Like, I think I was experiencing myself as my own threat, which is kind of weird to say out loud, but, um, it felt safer to connect with myself. And as a result, I felt safer to a talk about and be honest about and be explore, um, these intuitive gifts that I've kind of been I guess I'll say wrangling with and not sure what to do with or how to explore really my whole life. But they've, as the anxiety is going away, those experiences have become more frequent and more prominent. Um, and now that I can understand them without judging them through a religious lens, it feels like such a great invitation to understand my life and messages. And it really just feels like an invitation to be authentic. And so um, really great things have happened kind of since I opened up to that. Um, I was able to get pregnant um, with my identical twin girls and they are perfect and amazing in ways that I don't even know quite how to put into words. Um, I quit my job. I had been working in university recruiting for gosh, 10 or 11 years never really loved it, was really, really good at it, um, but it wasn't fulfilling. And so I was able to quit that and um, deal with anxiety around money issues, which I'm living a life of abundance. So like, that's good, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's been a really cool experience. And now that I'm getting more and more comfortable with, I'll say this version of me, this addition, maybe, um, I'm, I am starting to, I guess you'll say, come out of the spiritual closet and slowly share little nuggets. <laughs> it's like magical experiences with like select people in like very specific ways just to kind of test the waters. Um, yeah. And so that's, and it's been well-received for the most part. So, I mean, it's been, it's been a great experience, honestly. That's so great. I love it. And that's such a good way to to do it is to like speak the magic when it happens, right? You have to like, you recognize it and then kind of speak it out loud. And then you kind of see the reactions that other people have. And, you know, whether it's positive or negative in them, you're at least getting it out there and then being able to receive that back. And I think that's one of the big things, at least on my journey was, you know, being able to, you know, talk about those those coincidences that aren't really coincidences, the magic that was happening in the universe when it was happening. And then, you know, kind of solidifying it in myself was speaking it out loud, like you're saying, kind of coming out of that spiritual closet and, you know, kind of just seeing what feels right to you to share, right? And um, have you noticed as you've done that bit by bit, have you gotten more 
empowered and felt more comfortable with yourself to do that more and more? Or is it still something you're playing with a little bit? I would say it's still something I'm playing with. I'm definitely more comfortable talking about it with my friends than my family at this juncture. Um, But it's, I mean, it's really, my friends always joked about how I was the psychic friend. And so like, and I didn't really like react when they would make comments like that. I was just pretty neutral and very quiet about it. Um, And then when I started to sort of explain, because I was, I guess, to talk about my journey without talking about the whole journey, doesn't make sense, right? So I, I was raised by very devout Catholic people and like nothing against the Catholic church. It is what it is. And for some people that's very fulfilling, Godspeed. Um, for me, it wasn't. And so, but I was, I wanted so badly for it to feel the way for me, the way my family said it felt for them to like go through that religious way of engaging, I guess I'll say. And so I would, I was like, I will do the things like, yes, like I will, I will follow the rules. I will, I will do this. And so my, like, even in college, like I would wake up at like a random house, like totally hungover from the night before. And then I would like get up and go to mass. So my friends knew me as this like very like outwardly, like practicing Catholic person. And on the inside, I was like, this doesn't, this, I am doing this because I was told I need to do this. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it, but it doesn't resonate. It doesn't feel good. It feels really inauthentic. I don't enjoy doing this. And so that's the way that my friends knew me. I met most of my good friends, most of my long friends in college. And then sort of after college, I was probably like 25 or so. I decided I was like, okay, this isn't working for me. I'm going to stop going to church and just kind of like exist and see what pops up that feels good. And my friends, I never told anybody that I was doing this. I just, I lived alone in a new town and I was like, okay, this is fine. And my friends sort of recognized a change in me. And so they kind of started asking me about it. And then when I started working with Amy and like really kind of tuning into these intuitive gifts and not trying to deny the things that I experience, um, then my friends really noticed a change. And so they started asking me about it. And so I told them, I was like, well, I'm working with this person her name's Amy and this is what we're doing. And they said, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? They were like, they were like, we love that bitch. Like, this is great. You are like this version of you. We really, really love. And so it just, it feels good to talk about the journey and like the way that I conceptualize things now, like in terms of like what happens when you die and what do I think about God? And like, what do I think about the universe and how do those things like live in my life now that I'm not a practicing Catholic and like, like who is this version of me? And they're interested and they're curious. And when I tell them like in full honesty, like these are the things I experience, and this is why I made this choice and yada, yada. Um, they're not surprised actually. And I'm surprised that they're not surprised. Cause here I was thinking, I was like really being Catholic, like doing it. And the whole time, these people that were closest to me were like, I don't really, I don't really know if this is what's really happening. So as I'm being more honest about my spirituality and I guess we'll say the everyday magic, um, they're not surprised. Um, they're pretty receptive and they're really into this version of me, which is a good feeling. And yet here I am happy to do this with my friends and like my family. I feel very anxious about having those conversations with. So it's just, I say I'm playing with it. That's a really long answer to that very clear question. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a great answer. Yeah. It also, you know, it kind of reminds me of something you were saying earlier, you had talked about experiencing yourself as your own threat. And like the coping mechanism you had of just saying, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Right? Like when somebody would ask you, and you were had so much anxiety and stress and all these things. And, you know, I wonder if, you know, that's almost something that and like, were you saying, yeah, I'm okay to yourself? Was that kind of that coping mechanism? Also, like, just, you know, and that's kind of being that your own threat, just even as you're going through, you're kind of just saying like, yeah, no, I'm okay. I don't need to ex- do this. That you know, you, you, did you feel something kind of pulling you in a different direction and wanting to learn more, or understand more about yourself, but you felt like you kind of had to keep that. Yeah, I'm okay. You know, day to day type thing. Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say I was definitely trying to convince myself that I felt okay, very much so. And as a result, you know, if you're trying to convince yourself you're okay and someone asks you if you're okay, you're not going to be like, oh no, I'm like really not. Like you're going to be like, yeah, everything is fine, obviously. 
And so, yes, I would say lying to others, but also very much so lying to myself. And I don't know that I would describe it as a pull, but I would describe it as, um, this is a weird analogy. I'm going to roll with it. Like almost like you're, oh my gosh, have you seen that picture of that lonely house? I think it's in Scotland. It's like this, like one house that's on an Island. It was like going around social a few weeks ago, regardless. So it's almost like it felt like my life and the experiences that I was allowing myself to have was like the boundaries of this like Island just off of a coast. And I was aware there was more out there, but I convinced myself that something beyond that Island was dangerous. And then I also convinced myself that if I acknowledged to myself, the world beyond this Island that I put myself on, that that was dangerous and that was bad. And it was sinful and I would be rejected from the world. And so I was like, keeping my experience of myself and also my experience of the world very small in an effort to control the way that I perceive myself and the way that others perceived me and to control this idea that if I didn't go into the magic, I was being good, right? I wasn't disobeying um, the teachings of the Catholic church and I was, I was, I was behaving. And so it felt less of a pull and more like a choke, I guess I'll say, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's a, that's a great analogy to the island. And I haven't yeah. seen that, but I am going to look it up later. I'm picturing it in my head and it works perfectly the way you explained it. Lighthouse, just like on an island. I think it's called the loneliest house if you look it up. Yeah. Well, it's almost like there's a duality, right? Like you, like you just said, if somebody asks you, are you okay? And you're going through all these things, like the normal polite day-to-day thing is just to say, yeah, I'm great. Everything's okay. Right. And when you start doing that to yourself, you realize that, you know, you've created this duality within yourself where there's all of this, you know, other part of you, but you're just keeps ignoring it to say that you're okay. Right. When it really is one and everything is whole. Um, So it's really interesting that you said it that way. Yeah. It very, the duality is a good word. It very much felt like living a dual reality or a dual life. I mean, throughout my entire life, I had, I guess I'll say magical experiences or, or a really strong intuition. And I used to tell my mother about it when I was a little girl, I'd be like, Oh mom, like I remember this. And it would be something that happened before I was even born. And I would describe it to her. And she was like, yes, that is a real thing. But I don't know why you're saying this because you were not alive. Or um, I would just like get up and I would see things kind of in the night on our walls in our little farmhouse in this little town in central, South central Illinois. And I would like go to my parents and be like, Oh, I saw a, B and C and they would sort of brush it off. And like, even at one point in my childhood, my mom said like, Oh, like you might be like clairvoyant. And I was like, Oh, like, okay. Like, I think I was like maybe seven or something. I was like, like, what, what is this word? And like, what do I do about it? And what does it mean that I might be this? And like, what is this? And that was the end of the conversation. And I was aware that the conversation was not allowed to go further than that, just like acknowledgement. And then you pair that with like going to mass on, you know, all the times you're supposed to go to mass Sundays, days of obligation. And then I also was in Catholic school. And so there was this message that anything that, you know, that can't be logically explained should be from God. But then there was this, like, I'm not saying this well, there was like a implication that if you knew things that like they were messages that were coming to you from the devil and like that was a problem and so I was like aware that these experiences I have that were I'll say in addition to kind of like this 3d everyday life that we all experience together and then I also have these additional experiences I was just aware that there wasn't a space for them in my family in my world in my life and so we just didn't acknowledge it further, but I still having these experiences. Right. So I've got like my life experience that is in our shared reality. And then I have this life experience that's in this reality that is not allowed, I guess I'll say, or is taboo. And I was only allowed to talk about one, even though the other is very much impacting what I think about and what I wonder about and how I feel and 
who I am. And there was only space for one. And so it really was a duality, right? This like real life and secret life that don't get to live together. It was, it was a hard, it was hard. And then I think that's why the awakening process feels so good because it's kind of allowing, it's like, it's like kind of cracking a door, right. And like allowing them to merge together and to coexist and they don't necessarily have to contradict each other. It can be both. And, and the entirety of my experience can be held and that feels less like I'm lying to myself and less like I'm lying to others and just more like, oh, I'm just existing and existing with less shame or existing without shame that there's two experiences. And it doesn't mean I'm crazy. It doesn't mean anything bad. They just are there and it is fine that they're there. And in fact, it is magical and beautiful that they are there and you can do really cool things with that. And that's just a cool feeling. Yeah, that's awesome. Was that something that you felt like was it when you're kind of pushing that one side or like you had that one side that you weren't sharing with kind of this 3D reality that we all exist in and, and share this space, that separate one, was it something that you felt like you couldn't explore more on your own, even though you were getting these hits and you were getting these things and they were happening? Did it, did it make you feel bad that it was happening and that you then couldn't explore? Or was it something that you just took internally and just said like, oh, that happened again. And I'm just going to keep it to myself. That's it. And did it scare you at all? Or was it just something that you were, it was scary because you were hiding it from, you know, the rest of the the world that you were sharing with others? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say it would depend on my mood in the day and the level of intensity of the experience. So um, if it, if I had just had some sort of a, a church related experience that reinforced this idea that like you shouldn't play in the spirit realm, or like tarot cards are evil, like things like that. Um, because you open yourself up to like demonic possession, right. Was sort of the message I was getting. Um, and then I would have an experience shortly after that, or right before that, or there was some sort of correlation to that messaging, then yes, that felt pretty scary. Um, if it was more distance, like, I don't know, two months later, like, you know, there was more time space between that messaging and my experience, then it was less scary of like, oh no, like the devil's trying to get me and more like, oh, this thing happened. It feels really neutral or like, or this thing happened. And like, oh, that was kind of fun and cool. Um, and then sadness would follow because I knew that that was only mine. And I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't share what I saw. It wasn't, it wasn't allowed. Or if I did share it, like what's going to happen? Cause like, you know, you see all these horror movies with like exorcisms, like, oh my God, are they like, you know, I'm eight years old, like seven years old. So I'm like, oh my God, like, are they going to think that I'm like possessed? And then like, they're going to try to do an exorcism. Like there was like those sorts of fears, like the kind of fears that you would have as a little kid, right? Like I'm having something that I'm told is not allowed or that other people in theory, don't experience. And this is how they respond when those things are shared. And so I was like, that's threatening. So it just kind of depended, I think, on the relationship to messages that were coming my way as a little kid. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's it's almost like when you're a kid, I mean, I think I've heard this a lot and read about it. I'm not sure about either of you all, but you know, it's kind of that we lose the wonder, right? As we get older and we were so connected to the universe and everything else and able to see it for really what it was in so many other ways. And we kind of lose that that wonder as, as we move on. And there was an interesting thing I read the other day, I can't remember where, but the, the question was, and I would, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in both of your answers too. Like when you were a kid, were you more prone to having like a doll stuffed animal or blanket as like your friend that you kind of played with and had all the time? Or did you have an imaginary friend? Mm, that's a good question. I had a doll. You, you had, had a doll? Stuffed animals and Barbies. I had a doll. Her name was Katie. And she went everywhere with me. And I'll tell you a, a mini story. I won't go into the whole thing. But we were in Arizona and we like drove across the country. Um, 
this was like before I guess kids were in car seats and seat belts like so I rode in the hatchback part with my like strawberry shortcake sleeping bag so I could like look out like the back at people and my Barbie doll that I took got got tan because the sun coming through and so Katie was with me as well and she was this big doll I'd cut her hair so she had like tiny blonde pigtails and we um family of ours had connections with the um native people um indigenous people and I don't know if we were like technically in Mexico or if we were still in Arizona um but we went to a village that like you know isn't like open to the public by any means and I was in the car and the windows were down just a little bit and I had more blonde hair when I was little and I guess I was one of the first people that that anyone had seen there that was blonde so they started reaching their hands through the car window to touch my hair and so I got a little bit scared and they offered my mom anything she wanted in the village for my doll and I like would not give it up so it was like and I even like I remember getting like a second one that looked like her and I was like nope whatever's happening there and so it's one of those things where it's like I don't think it was just regulating I think on some level like she was very real to me yeah mm. well and I think that's kind of yeah what that question is at least the way I interpret it when you know I read it and kind of asked myself it's kind of that wonder like are you then is the, are the energies that you're still, you know, able to be in tune with as a kid? Is it showing up in like, uh, a form of your relationship with that doll or with that, you know, and you have that relationship and you kind of speak to it, it speaks to you, that sort of thing? Or do you have that imaginary friend and you don't even need the physical to be able to interact with it, right? It shows up, it seems like in, in both ways, but it's such an interesting juxtaposition, juxtaposition to think about. So what about you, Veronica? Yeah, it was really neither for me. I, I didn't have like a security toy and I didn't have an imaginary friend, but I did. And in looking back now, I think it was probably just aware of energies. I did very much feel and believe that everything had feelings. And so I would take all of my toys and I would like line them up around my room and I would like go to each of them. And like play with them individually because I, and I remember telling my mom, she's like, why are you doing this? What are you doing? And I remember telling her, I wanted them to all know that I loved each of them. And then I would even set, like, I grew up on a farm. Um, I would even go outside after that. This was almost every morning I would do this. And I would go outside after that. And I would touch, like, we had four trees that were kind of like huge. I don't know what kind of trees they were. I'm going to say oak, but they may not be, I don't know four huge trees that were in front of our house and I would go touch each of the trees and like tell them that they were beautiful and that I love them. And then I would even go, um, we had uh, cows. And so I would go out when my dad was feeding the cows and I would, when the cows would come to the trough, I would touch each of them on their head or on their snout and tell them that everything was okay and that I loved them. And I, and I would just go and do this to lots of- love it animals and items and toys and just like wanted to be really clear so that nobody's feelings were hurt I love that yeah <laughs> that's how I would play when I was a kid well and to understand that like now we can look back and be like that wasn't play like it's real you know even if you think about like the table actually like molecularly like it's moving you know it's not static so everything, just like they say, you can talk to the spirit of your house. You can, you know, talk to Gaia, the, the planet, like it is a living being. I think most of us came here with an understanding on a much higher level than humans are taught to, to be, you know? And so it's, it's kind of the same, like we had these expectations that our families were going to be a certain way. And so when you look at that, right, we come in and we're like trying to make sure everything is like feels comfortable and feels safe and then you know we're in a world that like doesn't remember things that way you know and then we're like well why aren't our families this way like who are these people and it's really because we're here to create that earth 
you know, but like that speaks to like why some things that happen in our lives are so traumatic because that's how sensitive some of us and most of us came into this world. Like, you know, where parents might be like, oh, like, I don't want to have a guinea pig anymore. And they like give it away. And you're just like, wait, what? Like the guinea pig went on vacation and never came home, Mm. you know? And so it's like those experiences where it's like very real for us. Like everyone is kind of on an equal playing field, you know, our toys, like different things. And, you know, how kids always lined up their stuffed animals, you know, and like would keep them all together. And you're like, why do you need all these stuffed animals? And it's like, because they all have a place, like they all, and now, you know, we're learning that we all have a place and having to like come back to that. Do you have any experiences with your girls that, that have been that way? I know they're still very young, but have you had some experiences that are sort of next level with them? Oh, I'm yes. So, I mean, even before it was, I think it was five years before I even got pregnant. I went around and I told all my friends that I was going to have twins. I just, I, one day I woke up and I was just aware that I will be having twins in my life. That that is, that is my journey. And my friends are all laughing because at that point I was certainly not anybody that somebody would conceive as motherly. (laughs) So, so for me as somebody who was definitely in no way motherly to be saying they were going to have twins, I didn't even have a serious partner at that point. And so they were just like, oh, LOL. And then um, I was like, okay, well, just letting you know, it's what we're, is what we're doing. And then I met my now husband, Scott, and it was pretty early in our relationship. And I said, I asked him, I was like, are you okay with kids? And he was like, I mean, I don't like actively think about wanting them, but like, it's like fine. I was like, okay, well, just so you know, I'm going to be having twins. So if you're not that and this can't, we can't do this. And he kind of looked at me. And at that point he, like, there were enough, I had said enough things of that nature that he like believed me. And he was like, Oh, um, okay. Well, good. That's what we're doing then. I was like, okay, great. Um, and then we moved from Illinois to Denver and we were here for a few years. Um, finally got married during COVID, which was a whole different situation. But, um, when we got married, we were like, okay, we're going to like start trying because we're in our thirties and we want to, we don't want to be super, super old parents. Like, let's get this rolling. And I wasn't getting pregnant. wasn't getting pregnant. And, um, Amy's like, okay, well, like let's work with the stress and let's work with the lesson. And so we're doing all this work together. And then finally, I think it was maybe October. I got married in June. This was maybe October, maybe November. Um, I came and I was meeting with Amy and I was like, so I'm getting pregnant in March with twins. And this is what we're doing. And she was like, okay, getting pregnant in March. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is what we're doing. And so then I think it was in January, I was sleeping and I had a dream and I met them and it was so, it was so cool. They were the most, it was, it was, I was meeting what I believe was their souls. And one was kind of a hot pink and one was this kind of fluorescent orange. And I was just like, yes. And they were just awesome. They had the coolest vibe and like, you know, you just feel their energy. I'm like, you guys are the coolest. Like, even if I wasn't going to be your mom, I would want to be your BFF because you are badass. And then that was in January. And then I got pregnant in March with the girls and they were born and here they are. Um, and so that was really cool. And then even further still one of them, so identical twin girls, one of them got a really, really, really rare form of meningitis when she was five. Well, she probably got it when she was born, but we discovered it and diagnosed it and started treating it when she was like five and a half weeks old. And it was, it was bad. It was, there was a month or two before anybody at the NICU would confirm that they thought she was going to come home with us. Um, and so, but during that window of time, of course, I'm like, you know, I think as most parents would, I'm crying, I'm scared, I'm nervous. And then also there's this like very clear, and Amy would remind me very often <laughs> during our conversations, there was this clear sense. I was just like, I really just think she's going to be okay. 
Like, I really, I really just think that's what's happening. And this is the way I'm feeling and thinking and believing and, and, and knowing while in the background, I have neurologists and a smattering of specialists at one of the top hospitals in the country telling me like, we're probably looking at a vegetative existence. Like, no, we don't really think we're walking here. Talking is very much a question. Um, the fact that she's eating right now is a shock. She did eventually stop eating, got a feeding tube, got it out. Um, but it was, uh, it was, it was, so this is the messaging I'm getting in this world, right? This shared experience. And yet I just had this knowing that they're actually not correct. And she really is just going to be fine. And fast forward now, um, she's been home from the hospital almost a year. It'll be a year in March that she's been home. And she just started walking and she is eating on her own. We have the feeding tube out and she plays and she learns and she has said mama. And so like all of these really great, beautiful things are happening. And all of them were things that were in question in this shared reality. And yet I very much knew, believed and hoped differently. And sure enough, here we are. And so I would say my experiences with them have been almost exclusively intuitively guided or, or magical or sort of not necessarily of the shared experience of the masses, I guess we'll say. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's the other beautiful thing that I got to bear witness to through, throughout, you know, this journey that you've been on is that um, really when we talk about soul mapping, you know, your chart, the lesson that you're here to learn is surrender. And these experiences over and over, you know, my favorite is like, you'll be like delightful, delightful. (laughs) I'm so glad that I, I, that that's true or that I have to work on this because, you know, at the end of meeting, I always try to be like, where are you at? How are you feeling? And then like this thing that we just talked about or worked through or cleared a block or whatever that looks like, then it's sort of like, you know, I want to make sure you focus on this thing. And so just bringing it back into the awareness. But um, I think that has been such an interesting thing to watch and something that I do understand, because I think as going from being a clinical therapist to a therapeutic guide, the spiritual level of holding something to be true for people, like that's an example of an everyday experience I have where it's like the new earth is being created through us, like the fifth density or the fifth dimension that a lot of people call it is being created through a frequency in our heart that our body is holding, right? And so it's like so many times we're having to hold that certain things are true And if you just went by like third dimensional thinking or the conditioning or the paradigm we've been living in, those things are impossible. Like, why would you believe that? People would think like, yeah, well, lucky charms and unicorns like are are real too. Is that what you're telling me? And it's like, yeah, maybe. And it's, and it's like, it's been beautiful to watch you really. And I know sometimes I've been challenging, but it's been beautiful to watch you like go into the thing and follow like your heart and what you believe and what you know, but then also be in the space of like, also at the same time, having to admit, like, I, I don't know. And like, what if this doesn't happen? And like, you know, walking through the process of surrender and returning and surrender and returning and, and it has been beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a delight. And I mean that seriously and also sarcastically, right? Like for moments where you're like, I literally hate everything. Like every time you say the S word is what I call it. The S word, just like cringe deep in my body. I'm just like, oh, this is literally the worst thing in the world. Uh, and then when I do, I don't know. I don't know that I've achieved full surrender yet. <laughs> I do surrender a little bit. I think, you've had some moments. I think yeah. Yeah. I would say there have been flashes of surrendering. And when I do, it is the best and worst feeling at the same time, right? It's like, it's 
a good feeling because it's sort of holding this space of like, this isn't mine to control and the energy and the emotions and the physicality that I'm putting into trying to maintain control of this thing that isn't mine to control that can all be put towards things that are useful. And so that in in that way, it feels like a relief. And then to also surrender, you can't surrender without trusting really. And, and that feels vulnerable and scary and daunting, especially if the stakes feel really high, you know, my daughter's life feels like a big thing. Um, And so it feels scary to do when you're not sure. And you're in fact told lots of reasons why you shouldn't trust that it's going to be okay. Um, And so, yeah, it's, I still, I still grapple with it. Um, I think it probably always will pop up. Right. But now, especially as I'm kind of, I guess I, I guess I'll just say I'm like further on the awakening journey. Right. It feels like um, it feels less dangerous to trust. It feels a little bit less dangerous to surrender. Um, just sort of like knowing, understanding, accepting this idea that everything happens for our own good. And we have signed up to learn these lessons. And so it's all happening the way it should. Everything is perfect. And if you can let go of your picture of what should is and see what's in front of you and accept that as the should, this is all exactly as it should be. Um, it does feel better. It really does. It feels less paralyzing. I think for me, that's a huge source of most of my anxiety is this, my picture of should and what's happening in reality are very different and I can't fix it. Right. Like quote, like we can't like quote, fix it. Um, but to accept that reality is perfect. It is in perfect timing. Uh, it is someone's perfect experience. Um, even if it looks painful to watch that brings a lot of peace and I think therefore allows space and safety and trusting the universe and the structure and absolutely yeah yeah and sitting with yourself and like holding that I've I've said it to Amy before but it it reminds me of um this story of Buddha when Buddha was you know getting close to reaching enlightenment there's this like um demigod Mara who started you know trying to distract and throw all these things at the Buddha to to say like you know to try and get him out of that state to stop reaching enlightenment and the way that the Buddha kind of did it I have this voice in my head I I do it nowadays like you were just saying like everything that is is there and you and just acknowledge it's there but you can choose to engage with that or or not engage with it it's like you choose what you give your energy to and you know, mm-hmm. Buddha was always like, I see you, Mara. I see you. Hi. And mm-hmm. and then just, nope, I'm going back to where I'm at and what I'm at. I'm not saying that this isn't happening. I'm just saying I'm not engaging in kind of what you're trying to get me to engage in because this is what's important. So it's not saying that anything in this reality or anything that's as it is, isn't. It's just, you can choose what you're putting your energy into and what your your truth is. And I think that that's um, what I got a lot when you were say- talking about your daughter, right? You know, you said you just knew, right? You just knew that she was going to come home. Um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, all of these things that doctors, nurses, other people were telling you could go wrong or or were, or there were these challenges upcoming, but um, you weren't saying these aren't things that I maybe shouldn't be, but I know. So we're going to get through this. And I think that that's super powerful holding on to that um, in and of yourself. Cause that then comes out in this reality as well. Mm, yeah. I think that that's a really great, I think bringing up the Buddha analogy is a really great description of what it feels like. Cause I think that somebody who maybe hasn't had this experience or hasn't really embarked on this journey, I think it'd be easy for the to critique and say, Oh, like you're obviously just in denial. Like it's too scary to think about your daughter not coming home or it's too scary to think about your daughter, like in a vegetative state, so you're going to deny it, right? You're just going to tell, say it's not happening and therefore it's not, right? Um, but it is it is different than that. It is, I am aware of what you're saying. I'm going to, like, you're saying my daughter's not going to walk. We will dedicate ourselves to physical therapy to make sure she does. Like, like yes, we're going to do these things, but I'm not going to allow the things you're saying to take away the fact that I know 
she will in fact walk and she's going to learn and like she will laugh and like like to know that I'm not gonna allow that to take it away. Like, is it hard to hear? Yes. Does it make you cry? Sure does. But like, it doesn't change that I know this is so. And so I think that that Buddha analogy is a really great description of what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and that's the thing. I mean, that's why I use whether you call it muscle testing, a pendulum, the body is the pendulum, like to check yourself. You know, that's why I teach clients that skill and you do in human design our emotional solar plexus. So it's also additionally like a good tool to know, but it's sort of this idea, you know, and everyone has their own version of it once I show them, but it's one of those things where it's one thing, like, I think what you were referring to is like the idea of wishful thinking, you know, or like living in fantasy. And it's a completely different thing to have an intuitive hit or knowing like as Claire sentient, as Claire um, cognizant. So one, Claire sentient is the feeling, Claire cognizant is the knowing. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's interesting. And even, you know, when you talk about the babies and their auras that you had that dream, um, I'm reminded of, of when you told the nurse at the hospital how you told them apart can you just share that because I I think it also speaks to this like sense of knowing and trust in a real like everyday way for like the mamas and parents out there yeah I so they're identical um we all know that means they look alike right and so we were I think it was you're referring to the time when we were at the NICU and I told the nurse I think that's what you're talking about um yeah so we were at the NICU and one of, it was a new nurse. She had, she wasn't one of our regulars. So she comes in and she sees, I had both my girls there. And so she asked me how I tell them apart. And this is something that I think every twin mom of identical twins has gotten. And I I made a choice in that moment to be honest, right? Cause I could have said like, oh, their personality or, oh, they just look different to me or, oh, so-and-so has a freckle. Like, you know, I, I, I could have made up something like that, but this is one of those moments where I talk about how you just kind of drop the truth and just see what happens. This was a nurse, right? So low stakes. And so I was like, well, um, to be honest, they are, I see them as colors and one is pink and one is orange. And they have been those colors since before they were born. And when I look at them, that is what color they are. And they are that color. So how can I possibly mix them up? That's that'd be like saying I'm not colorblind. Right? Like I can tell pink and orange apart. Like just like I look at like if one had short hair and one had long hair, I wouldn't confuse them. Like I would know that they have short like, you know, Allie has short hair and the Allie has long hair, for example. Um and so for me to see one as a pink aura and one as an orange aura is just as real as saying that they have different hair. And so they I can't possibly confuse them <laughs> she just like kind of looked at me and I was like I looked at her and she was just like wow that's really cool wow okay great and then she walked away great well now you know that's awesome yeah. yeah I love that because and I think that goes back to even the idea for so long right that they're like oh babies are born in a blank slate like all of these different mm-hmm. things and I think that that is such a misconception and intentional I don't want to say lie, but like, it's a condition to discredit children. Like think about children are meant to be seen, not heard all of these things, all of this conditioning. So if we're all coming in higher vibrational and we are here to create the new earth, then it's, it's sort of like one of the children that was a part of, of um, Saturday morning, like art time at my nonprofit, uh, Violet Hive, like his parents actually like let him choose his clothes from wherever in the store he found them like really let um him have agency and I know multiple people that came to me around the same time that you know had children that people would call rainbow babies or um crystal babies where you know the adults would be arguing or the adults would be unaware of something and then the kids would so clearly show up and like say something to like calm everyone down or bring everyone's attention to something. And that's one of the things that I think have shifted that has helped us create this new earth. You know, I've heard time and time again that if you're 
any children that are born after 2008 are not going to have karma or they're not going to have the same type of um, contracts as as many of us do. And so really, it's the adults that have to change. So the the big changeover, I think, that will happen in corporate America and in the world is when, you know, all of the baby boomers are retired, when Gen X really is stepping in. And so most of the clients I'm working with right now are Pluto and Virgo and Pluto and Libra, because that that is that falls across Gen X. And so there's there's this, especially on TikTok, I think there's a huge push for spiritual people to be more of the ages between like 30 and 45 or people that are awakening are sort of flowing in there because we're the ones that have to shift. Like the kids are fine. You know, they're, they're going to do some amazing things. So some of the kids, children that are being born to people like your twins, right? I think that there's a very specific reason they're twins. There's a very specific reason that um, I think Ali chose to come in and and work with this, I'll just say challenge, right? This this life life circumstance. And many times they are higher vibrational beings that are coming in and taking on these roles. And I don't think it's out of a traumatic space as much as it is for people to witness your belief and people to witness like what actually does happen with her clinical story, you know, and a Mm -hmm. lot of that will be the medical community. And I think it also will be other parents that have children that are going through challenges. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, and that's a lot of the reason that my husband and I, um, I mean, her form of meningitis, it wasn't any of the traditional bacteria. It was, it was panabacillus in case you're wondering panabacillus is everywhere like air water food dirt it is it is a condition of being on earth and that's it people don't get sick from it um she did and so as a result they wanted they i mean the doctors um wanted to enroll her in various studies and she's there she's a, a huge source of curiosity from the medical community a why did she get sick from panabacillus b how is it possible that she's doing the things that she's doing when we see what we see on her mris um and so there she's just we enrolled her in every study that anybody's asking for and all we are asking in return is that in addition to the medical story that they'll post so that they would share her scans which are gnarly. Um, but we also asked that they share her clinical story, which is in, in medical community, you say your clinical story, that's the way that you're living your life, regardless of what your test results are. Um, because we do want it to be documented that one is capable of doing everything that she's doing in the circumstances that she's in. And um, I mean, I, her neurologist has called her a medical miracle. Like I, I, want, I want people to understand the range that is possible with the human condition. And so I think that's really important. And and what we tell, like what you tell her and the reality you create for her has been such an important, I think, part of that is that, you know, when when we grow when we grew up, right, the conditioning happens because we believe what we're told. And mm-hmm. and I think the biggest thing is, and and not that I'm like blaming, but it's like, you know, our parents tell us certain things are possible in our life. Like I wanted to be a fashion designer and I was told that that was like impossible, that it's really hard to do, that I need to pick something else, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, that things that, that we wanted to do were impossible. And, you know, it's like the same. I think about this all the time. Well, there are people that are astronauts. Yes, it's less common, right. but it's like, let, let your child believe whatever they need to believe to get them to where they're meant to go. And so that being said, right, we're healing from all this conditioning of like the third dimension and this paradigm. And so we have to hold and do our healing so we can create a world of possibility for our children. And I think that that's the other piece of this journey that you're on with your family is that you're going from, you know, a very Catholic beginning you know a very religious beginning 
and really having to go through all this deconditioning on many layers to get to yes like source god whatever is a part of this because she is source your source i'm source we're all source at least that's my belief um we're all life force energy and so you can give all the glory to god you can say this is part of her journey and it's supposed to be that way you can but it's like how you're living your life out with her and the agency that you're providing and the possibility that you're creating i think is a huge part of why she is doing what she's doing and how capable she is and and you know it speaks to her spirit both of the girl's spirit and yours yeah i th- thank you they they are i think the most magical beings i've ever encountered and i just can't believe that they're my they're they're so cool <laughs> they're so cool yeah and so so what are some of the things that you're most excited about that are coming up do you have things that that you know are coming into your purview or um milestones that you're looking at with the girls because I know they're a little over one yeah they're both Scorpio babes yeah they are both Scorpio babes they are 14 months right now and they're just doing such cool things. Leila is amazing. She's brilliant. She is following instructions and lining things up and sorting things by color and I think also shape. Um, and so she's just crushing it. Um, she's exploring her words. I'm really excited for her to start to use words really, really intentionally. I'm so curious about what she has to say, because I know she's, she has something to say. Um, and so that's exciting to think about. Um, it's really cute. They've started kissing each other. (laughs) If you say like, like Leila, do you love your sister? She will lean over and kiss her on the head. Allison has started doing the same thing in return. It's very, very cute. Um, so that it's just like a fun time. I think I'm most excited for their words. I think that's the thing that excites me the most. Allison um, said mama for the first time in August and then stopped saying it. Um, we know now that's because she was having infantile spasms, which is pretty serious seizure activity. Um, but we believe we've got that resolved. We'll confirm with the EG in a few weeks. I think it's resolved. Um, And so since resolving that, she has started babbling again and she's screaming. She said mama once. Um, And so I'm just so excited to hear her, to have, for her to have words to be able to tell us what she thinks about. I'm really curious to hear her version of events. Um, Those are things I'm really looking forward to. And she just took her first steps. And so I'm just excited to see her build her confidence and walking independently. I want so much, so badly I have this vision of taking them to the zoo and having them walking and holding hands and pointing at their favorite animals. I literally can't wait. <laughs> I mean, those are things I'm looking forward to in, in that way. Yeah. Things I was told not to hope for. And and that's the thing. I mean, our words, our actions, our thoughts create our reality. And I think that that's a big part of so much that's happening in in the collective consciousness, in this conscious shift of awakening. Um, Matthew, did you have any other things that came up for you for Veronica? I'm trying to think of. Um, well, as we get down to the end here, we do like to do some rapid fire questions if you're up for them. Um, so I'll go ahead and Amy, feel free to jump in with uh, some of your own if you would like. I'll just go ahead and start. Um, what does awakening mean to you? Hmm. I think for me, it feels more like remembering, um, kind of like the way that you would when you were a kid and everything felt possible and, and it felt clean and it felt honest. And so it, for me, it means kind of returning to a state of being open to what is possible and what feels good and knowing that that is in fact true. A beautiful answer. Thank you. Um, so let's see what are five songs that you can't live without Ooh, okay this is good 
Yeah. So I would say the song, the number one song that I absolutely need is um, Angels on the Moon by Thriving Ivory. That song has been my favorite song since I think I was 17. In fact, that is the song I was listening to when I painted my first ever painting. Nice. So Love I just that. repeat probably for three hours. That is my absolute favorite song. Um, it's kind of funny because looking back now, it's actually about a lot of the things that relate to awakening. So it's so interesting. Um, that is my favorite song of all time. So have to have that song. Um, the other one is Banks by Need to Breathe. That one for me really embodies the way that I want to honor my girls and through their upbringing. So that song feels really important. Um, the Middle, has Jimmy Eat World. That one has always been a good one for me. That's what I listen to when I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> I love that one. Um, and then extra. Did you just say that you you feel overwhelmed sometimes? <laughs> That's a big thing for me. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the world of admitting that we as humans can be overwhelmed. <laughs> and I, we just, need to- I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> When you feel overwhelmed, you should listen to The Middle by Jimmy Eat World. Um, and then uh, Extraordinary Magic by Ben Rector. That one also um, has always resonated, especially in thinking about my girls. How many is that? Four? Yep. And then um, the other one is much less spiritual, but it's Get Low by Lil John the East Side Boys. That has nice. been my jam since middle school. Love it. Nice. Yeah. You got to have like a jam that you can just get down to, too. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so if, uh, if there was a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your everyday life that brings you joy, what would that snapshot be? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it would be probably after Scott finishes work and the girls have eaten and had a bath, we all kind of sit in the living room and I sit on the floor and play with them. And it's my favorite time to play with them because that's when they're, I think the most centered, they're like getting ready to go to sleep. And so that's when they do the coolest things. Or that's usually when they'll like try something new. And so that, that would be, it'd be me sitting on the floor while Scott's got something on the TV with the girls it's awesome um what is one concert that you will always remember Ooh, ray la montaigne at red rocks when was that um i think it was earlier this year i want to say maybe like april or may okay nice i mean anything at red rocks is really special anyway um we've all been very lucky to live here yeah. <laughs> and be so close that's to literally, a place. that's literally like I would say one of a lot of people would say the mountains or skiing that is like the all-time highlight of the reason to live in Denver that and like sunrises and sunsets yes yeah so a couple more quick ones what is the last thing you binged or loved streaming Oh my God, I thought you were talking about food and I was going to confess to Oreos. <laughs> oh, that, you can go food too <laughs> if you works. want. Yeah. That was works. it just standard Oreos, double stuff, flavored? Old stuff, 100%, everything else. Nice. Um, but TV-wise, definitely Shit's Creek. I love it. Well, can you also say like what your dog is named then? Oh, her name is Stevie, after Stevie from Shit's Creek. Aw. That's awesome. She's, she's a burner doodle. So she's she's magnificent. Literally perfect in every way. Thank you for knowing. <laughs> um, what is something people often get wrong about you? Hmm. I don't know if it's still true. Maybe no, actually, I know that it is. Um, people when they first meet me often say that I'm intimidating or cold. Um, yeah. And I would certainly, once they get to know me, I'm, I'm told that that's not the way they feel. But when I walk into I would imagine that that has shifted drastically over the last like year to year and a half. I would imagine, but I don't know. 
I spend a lot of time now, so I don't know. It's a powerhouse, though. I mean, if, like, something is going to be done, it's going to be done. So the idea of surrender is, it, like, that being the S word is, like, no joke. But, like, the thing that I will say is, like, watching you surrender and, like, what happens when you do, like, it's almost like shit is done instantaneously like when you, when you hit it. And so that's where, you know, I'd, I'd love just to add that portion because it really does speak to like the paradigm shift. Like I, I watch it every day with y'all. Yeah. Surrender, man. Um, all right. And then finally, um, what are you illuminating in the world? Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that my story, our story as a family is really illuminating the extent of things that are possible. I would like to think it's shedding light on magic and the idea of limiting beliefs being unnecessary, but I don't know. I love that. I love that too. Yeah. It fits well, and it fits well with with everything that you shared with us today. Also, is there anything else you'd like to to say before we we kind of finish up here? Anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just want to anybody who's listening. I think I just want to invite you to be open and willing and excited to explore possibilities and to notice how they feel in your body. Cause I really, my experience is that your body won't lie. And so if it feels good, it probably is good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, um, you know, sitting here and, and holding this space with us and, and sharing everything that you did um, about your journey and yourself and your family. Um, I loved hearing about it and I know so many others will as well. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Uh, thanks, Veronica. I it has been such an honor to bear witness to all the magic that you are. So um, I truly appreciate you, and I'm so grateful for your journey, for you offering to share it. And I can't wait to see what what's coming in 2023. I think it'll be awesome. I'm pretty jazzed too. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Everyday Illumination. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to like, review, and or subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. We're pretty much on all of them, so just type in Everyday Illumination, click the like or subscribe button, and if you feel so inclined, leave a review. And of course, the absolute best way to support this is to just spread the love and to share it with your friends, family, or anyone with ears who you think would appreciate these conversations. Amy, would you like to tell people where they can find you? Yes, if you'd like to follow my journey or work with me, you can find me as the Illuminated Psychologist on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, soon to be YouTube. And my uh, web address is Amy, A-M-Y, L as in Larry, E-I, T as in Tom, E-R, Lighter, amylighter.com. Thanks so much.